Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, you and I got something important to talk about. Mm, what is that? Uh, today on the uh, New York Times Mini, it took me 13 seconds and it took you a minute and two seconds. How do you respond to the allegations that you suck at crossword puzzles? I'll respond by saying, among our friends, I came in third the day before, so I will take that and run with it. Mm-hmm. That's that's that's... That's embarrassing that you are a once proud man who is now falling back on this. Hold on, let me let me pull it up. I want to see what it I want to see what it was that (laughs) tripped me up. What was it that got me? Oh, it was I okay. It was uh the one that really tripped me up was mind. The a terrible thing to waste, they say. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 not gonna keep making fun of you for this because people probably stopped listening by now. Well, we haven't done a pot in a minute. There's stuff going on in the world of Penn State football. A lot of stuff on the field, off the field, all these sorts of things. And we figured it would be a good time to sit down and just kind of uh, give a little recap of what's been going on in the recruiting world. Talk about the Rose Bowl a little bit. Take some of your questions. Do these sorts of things. And Nick, I think we need to dig into your, your old beat, so to say, and talk about recruiting because... Last couple of days, Penn State has decided to go out on the recruiting trail and get guys at a position that I think they really needed to get a few bodies. Yeah, yeah, they've they've definitely made some you know fairly significant moves there. Um, they've picked up two defensive end commits, uh, one from Mason Robinson, I believe is his first name. You can tell that I really don't cover recruiting anymore because I really have to think about it now. Um, but yeah, former former Northwestern. Uh, commit who ended up backing off from the McDonough school in Maryland, uh, you know, really commonplace that Penn state's gotten recruits from, but um, had been committed to Northwestern for a while um, and then had a really strong senior season on tape. And it got a lot more schools uh, interested again. And then when Northwestern inexplicably decided to fire all the coaches on the defensive mm. side of the ball and not the offensive I, side, you know, I, I think Northwestern should probably just fire a lot of coaches, <laughs> but regardless, that's what they did. So then Mason Robinson, you know, then became much more of an option for Penn state. He eventually decommitted from Northwestern and now um, is a part of Penn state's 2023 class. They also were able to pick up uh, Joseph. I do not know how I say his last name. Mupoi Mupoi. I, I, that's my best guess um, from, from St. Thomas Moore in Connecticut, another edge rusher. And he is uh, probably, you know, if you think back in recent years, pretty similar to like Jason Owe, uh, now Adafi Owe, um, in that, you know, he's not as purely talented as Owe was, but he comes in with like a similar, um, similar stature. Like he's a big kid. He's six, four and a half, two thirty five, according to on three. Um, and just a really, you know, tons of natural athleticism. I believe he's only been playing football for two years, maybe three, I think two though. Um, so, you know, obviously tons of untapped potential. Also, you know, a really low floor. Um, if it doesn't put things, you know, together at the next level, in which case, you know, probably a transfer portal candidate at some point but you know he's the type of player that penn state has taken chances on at especially at edge rusher and they've done a really good job of developing those guys into stars and this is somebody you know he's only a three star or actually a four star on on three um on their composite rankings but he has a you know an unbelievably high ceiling so really exciting pickups for penn state um in both those spots yeah we were you know alluded to it a second ago but penn state's defensive line is in a bit of a weird place moving forward, assuming both of these guys are going to be defensive ends. Adisa Isaac, uh, Zariah, Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson are the two main guys on the roster who potentially go to the NFL next year. And then you 
just imagine they move on. This is what Penn State's defensive end depth chart looks like. And uh, Nick Tarburton would also move on. This is what Penn State's defensive end depth chart just among guys currently on the roster would look like in the event that Isaac and Robinson move on. Deny Dennis Sutton, Zariah Fisher, Amin Vanover, Smith Vilbert, and then a couple of walk-ons. And for a school like Penn State, where Ohio State's going to continue to uh, recruit incredible quarterbacks, Ohio State is going to continue to have a very pass-happy offense, unless Ryan Day loses to Michigan again next year, and then he'll get fired. And uh, Michigan has continued to get good quarterback recruits. J.J. McCarthy is their current guy. They're going, they are in for some big names in the upcoming class. I believe Jane Davis is the big name that they've been linked to recently. You need to be able to get to the quarterback. And while John Scott has done a very good job of getting talent in along the defensive line, you can never have too many guys who give you potential edge rusher types. Penn State has done a nice job recruiting edge players in this class. Jameel Lyons is a four-star recruit. Tamir Robinson is a four-star recruit. Robinson, I think, might be one of those guys they see if he's an edge rusher, linebacker, that sort of thing. Yeah. But what they decided to do a little bit farther down in the class, and it's something that I always like, is when you are taking these kind of guys a little bit later in the cycle, uh, those you know, they're a three- or four-star guy. You don't know how you're going to project them out. Is I like when you take the balance of a guy like Joseph Mapoyi, who a little bit more of a project, like you mentioned, uh, Nick, he's a guy who uh, has, has not been playing basketball, I mean, hasn't been playing football for particularly long. Uh, in a scouting report over at 24-7, uh, Tyler Calvaruso pointed out that uh, he was actually a basketball player first. He came to the U.S. to be a basketball player in football. He's just taken to it uh, really well. Has the physical traits, the physical, the athleticism, all that sport, all that stuff you want to succeed in that position, but you need to be able to mold him a little bit. Okay, how do you balance that out? You get a guy like Mason Robinson, a, a nice player, maybe a guy who doesn't have that very high ceiling, but seems like he has a very high four. Again, I'm going to uh, cite what Tyler wrote this week. Finishing this year, 83 tackles, nine sacks. He's a bigger, more physical body. He uh, clocks in at 6'4", 230 pounds. And you could just see when you uh, when you look at him, he's a guy who ha- carries that weight well. He's a very looks like a very physical guy. And he's a guy that, listen, if you can get him on weight, and he could be a kind of guy who, again, maybe he's not turning into a first-round NFL draft pick, but he's a consistently very good college player at a premium position. Nick, I think you have to take those kind of guys. And I really like how they've managed to go out there and get two guys who, like I said, just kind of balance each other out in terms of one's on a little bit longer of a timeline, one's on a little bit shorter of a timeline. Yeah, I think that's something that James Franklin and his staffs um, have pretty have done pretty consistently well, um, especially during their time at Penn State, and that's build balanced recruiting classes. Um, and that means both in terms of positional balance as compared to what's needed on the roster, but also, you know, like you said, in terms of like the profile of the type of player. I do think it's an interesting question because, you know, go back a couple of years and I very much agree that uh, at the lower end of the class, I would prefer to see guys that um, maybe are ranked lower just because they have massive ceilings, but are either really raw or haven't been playing football that long or whatever it is. It is an interesting um, question though, with the transfer portal, the way it is now, because, you know, Mm -hmm. when you get those guys that, 
you know are going to be two or three year projects, there's a pretty good chance now that they actually won't kind of reach their culmination at the school they commit to. So I almost wonder if now it's becoming more of a, I don't know, like you're like, you're obviously, obviously still going to take flyers on guys like that when you can, but I wonder if there's a bit more of a focus now, maybe on finding more guys that can contribute right away. Um, just so you can get a better sense of, you know, who, who's for real, who do we need to really focus on? Like our, like our in-house recruiting efforts on to keep them out of the portal and stuff like that. Um, but that's, you know, that's a hmm. question for another time, I think. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm a, it, it's something I hadn't considered. I, like, I wonder, you know, this is just something throwing out there. If they decide that to go this route because they looked in the portal and saw that there weren't necessarily the kind of guys who um, didn't necessarily have the kind of guys who would be able to step in from day one and, you know, have that Arnold Ebiquette type impact, have that Chop Robinson type impact, whatever that that would be. But where they yeah, do I, think they I might think have that. Like oh, you, oh, you ruined the transition. It was such a good one, too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I think, it. like like you mentioned, though, like the depth in the room right now is good. And, like, even if Isaac and Chop both leave after next year, like Zarai Fisher uh, uh next year, uh, I think he'll still he'll still have eligibility left, but uh, deny Dennis Sutton will still be like there's still guys in the room to the point that I think taking a guy like uh Mapoy, who's more of a project, makes sense given the timeline. Sorry, continue with your now ruined transition. It's okay. The transition wants to talk about the area where Penn State has apparently been hitting the transfer portal uh, very strongly, and that's at wide receiver. You look at Penn State's depth chart heading into next season. Keandre Lambert-Smith is a guy who has had a little bit of production. Uh, Harrison Wallace is a guy who has flashed at points throughout this season. And then there's just a whole lot of question marks from the Nittany Lions in that position, a position that is going to be – it's a premium position for Penn State because Drew Auer is going to be stepping in, and you want to make that first year as easy on him as you possibly can. There is talent in the room. There are guys uh, like Lambert Smith and uh, Wallace, obviously, Caden Saunders, Tyler Johnson, Anthony Ivey, Amari Evans, we saw a bit of this year, also flashed uh, at moments, Jaden Dotton, Malik Mega, Liam Clifford, scholarship guys who we saw uh, do some nice things this season, Nick. This recruiting class, they didn't exactly go out and get game-changing, you know, the kind of five-star wide receivers that go to a school like Ohio State. They have Carmelo Taylor, uh, a four-star prospect, and that's it for their uh, wide receiver recruiting, good tight end recruiting, not great wide receiver recruiting. But I don't want to say not great. Sorry, I'll bring that one back. But having said that, Penn State has decided to go out and target some big names in the transfer portal. The names that have been kicked around most prominently with Penn State are Dante Cephas, formerly of Kent State, uh, a high school teammate of both Tank Smith uh, and uh, who else was he? Uh, Daquan Hardy, right? Daquan Hardy, that's right. I, I remember Tank Smith, but I don't remember Tank. God, I'm, I need another cup of coffee. Dante Cephas ended up getting him. He was a very productive player, uh, particularly two years ago for Kent State when he caught 82 balls for 1,240 yards and nine scores. This past year, 48 receptions, 744 yards, three scores. And then the two younger guys who I think fit that more, you know, when you kind of imagine a wide receiver one, that kind of physical profile. Those guys, Caden Prather, 
for of uh, West Virginia, 52 receptions last year for 501 yards and three scores. And Dante Thornton uh, for Oregon, 17 receptions, 366 yards and one score last year. Both guys who uh, Penn State recruited very heavily. Thornton at one point was committed to the Nittany Lions. Nick, how do you want Penn State to address this position in the transfer portal, because I don't know about you. I feel good about quarterback. I feel really good about running back. I feel really good about tight end. I feel really good about offensive line. But right now, it seems like wide receiver is going to be a bit of a question mark for the Nittany Lions going forward. Yeah, ultimately, I whatever the staff ends up doing, as far as the number of guys they bring in, I will trust that that is, you know, the best path as far as, you know, keeping the current room together. Um, because like, you know, you don't want to go like full Michigan state, right? Like you don't want to bring in like five transfer receivers and alienate everybody in the room. Cause at that point you're, you're telling the room basically you're not good enough and we need more. Um, I think that there, there's obviously a ton of talent in that Penn state receiver room, even if nobody's truly broken out yet, just by law of averages, I think it's fair to assume that somebody in that room right now is going to take a big step forward next season, whether that be, you know, a Keandre Lambert Smith, Amari Evans, Caden Saunders, whoever. But to your point, like if things go the way that we are hoping they go with Drew Aller, you have two years with Drew Aller as your quarterback here at Penn State. Yeah. And you simply need to capitalize that on that. And the position where they have the least um the smallest number of established and kind of safe contributors is definitely the wide receiver room. Like again, ton of talent, but not a lot of production to back it up. Um, you know, with uh, Parker Washington off to the NFL with Mitchell Tinsley out of eligibility, he'll be off to the NFL, all that stuff. So, you know, I would be in favor of bringing like, if they can land all three of Cephas Thornton and Prather, I'm cool with that because if they land all three, then to me that's, and you know, and the other thing to consider is like, especially Thornton and Prather, like those are big, like tall outside targets. And that's the thing that this Penn state receiver room doesn't have outside of Malik mega who, you know, as we've said many times, he's, he continues to be a project that's going to, you know, develop at a slower pace, just given his background and um, coming from Canada, all that stuff. If they think that all three can fit harmoniously into the current room, then I, have zero issue with it personally um i don't know if they will be able to get all three but like, yes right now it's it seems it seems like cephas is probably a pretty good bet to be joining the roster via transfer um the other two may be a bit more up in the air if we want to go into kind of the competition for those two guys if we want if you want to yeah i mean penn state's kind of bigger guys to go up and get the football uh per, you know provide that physical outside presence it's Theo Johnson, it's Tyler Warren, it's Jerry Cross, it's Brenton Strange if Brenton Strange decides to come back next season. And then, like you mentioned, you're banking on, you know, maybe Malik Mega, a light comes on for him. But I think, I I wonder if the fact that he got some run at the end of last year and he barely played this year beyond special teams might be telling. I don't know. We will we'll have to see there. Uh, and then a guy like Jaden Dotton, who... Uh, 6'2", 198, he's a taller dude, uh, not the most physical of you. He is, uh, he's at 198, uh, let's see, where's Parker Washington? Parker Washington was at 212 pounds, so uh, he needs some gro- physical growing out that he needs, uh, you know, bulking up that he needs to do. 
And I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. So getting a guy like a Prather or even a guy like Cephas, Cephas is at 6'1", and 186 pounds. Like he would bring a little bit more size to him that could use it. But like you mentioned, Prather and Thornton are the two guys who you got to sit there and hope that Penn State is able to get a guy with that kind of profile because it brings that's the big thing here for me, Nick. I, if Penn State's going to go out and recruit at that position, I want them to get stuff that they don't have at that position. I don't want them, you know, for uh, how good Mitchell Tinsley uh you know, was for stretches this season. I don't want them going out and getting another guy who's like Mitchell Tinsley, who maybe he's his skill set is a little bit more repetitive in that room when you think of Lambert Smith, Wallace, Johnson, Anthony Ivey, just Caden Saunders, these kinds of dudes. What I want is for them to be able to go out and get that guy who if Drew Allers in a little bit of trouble. He's throwing it in their general direction. They can go get the football and pray through Thornton and get that. But like you mentioned, uh, Maryland, I believe, has been mentioned as a contender for Prather. And then Thornton, I think Auburn and uh, Miami are the schools that have been mentioned as potential landing spots for him. Miami in particular would be uh, would be tricky because Miami is the school that Mario Cristobal is at. He committed to Cristobal and Cristobal is at Oregon. Uh, what do you think – I'm interested in your take on this. What do you think about the potential of – let's hypothetically say all three of these guys say we want to come into Penn State – what are your thoughts on the dynamics that come from going into a wide receiver room that next year is going to have one, two, should have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine scholarship guys and saying we don't, we need to recruit over all 10, including uh, Carmelo Taylor. We have to recruit over all 10 of you guys because we think that's the most important thing. Is that something that concerns you at all? Um, Somewhat, and then real quick before I answer that, uh, just because we covered you know Thornton's connection to Penn State, real quick for Caden Prather, originally a Maryland guy, um, was interested in Penn State as a recruit. His primary guy, though, recruiter was Jared Parker, who was the receivers coach at the time. Ultimately, ended up following Parker to West Virginia when Parker got the offense coordinator job there um, under Neil Brown. So, um, I, I do, I do think it. Like I said, it's ultimately I'm going to trust the staff. Like if they bring in three, I'm going to trust that they have figured out how that's going to work among their room. Um, I also think it's uh, fair to remind people that there is a good chance that there is going to be like another portal rush after the bowl games. Um, Cause I, there's, it's certainly possible. There's guys that just want to, you know, they want to play the bowl game with their team and then they'll jump in the portal. Um, so I, I, I would assume again, law of averages, at least one Penn state receiver, I would say hops in there. Like just, it, it's just the way it is. Um, but I honestly, the thing that would be the most interesting to me if they bring in all three, because at this point you're bringing in, and maybe it's a little different with Thornton and Prather because those are still multi-year guys. Um, so maybe it's not as much about like playing time right now, but you know, when you consider the competition for getting these guys in the portal, there, there has to be some expectation for all these guys, wherever they go that like, I'm going to be a piece of this offense today. And if you're Penn state and you bring in three guys, and you know, and two of them are pretty similar in Prather and Thornton. How how exactly do you make that work playing time? Like, how do you sell that to all three? Um, that's one of the reasons I think bringing in all three is probably unlikely, especially Prather and Thornton. I think they're just too similar. I I don't really see them both being willing to join together, knowing that one's playing time is probably going to into the other. But it's 
the fact that they play again, they play a different role. Like they're much more like all three of those guys are probably much more of X receivers, which is the thing that Penn State doesn't really have. It's the role that Mitchell Tinsley filled this year. It wasn't really an ideal X receiver, but it's, you know, it's certainly something to consider because like you said, you have to now go into your position room and say, Hey, we felt like we had to bring in three guys. And you know, there's two ways that everyone else in that room can attack that. They can either say, okay, wow, that's a challenge. You just kicked my ass. I have to go prove myself on the field now, or, you know, promises aren't being kept here. I need to hop in the portal myself and go make a change. So it's, I, I think it's really hard to say which, you know, everyone's different. I circumstances are different for everyone, but it's, it's something that, you know, ultimately I I think we can sit here and speculate all we want. I think it's just, I, I think it just has to be a little degree of, we just have to say, if the coaches think that this is cool, then it's, you know, we got to trust them to make it work in that room. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it is not my problem. Right. It's not my job to, like, be concerned about the personal dynamics in the room. Having said that, this is something that James Franklin is going to have to uh, – And every James coach. Franklin is going to have to – and every coach has to deal with, you know, with every single decision they end up making. Uh, hey, players are, getting, uh, players are getting more cool stuff, so I'm ultimately happy for them. And, uh, hey, Nick. You want to want to talk about some cool stuff? Uh, does that mean we're going to talk about home field apparel? That's right, because folks, uh, we have a sponsor on this year' podcast. And that is home field apparel. If you are a college sports fan on the internet, you are aware of them. If you are not aware of them, though, home field is a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. Uh, I have plenty of home field gear. I am not wearing any of it right now. I have some in the other room. Like I use it to get some uh, Christmas shopping all taken care of because people tend to like the college that they went to Nick and I'm Shocking. not going to lie. I think that I, I like the stuff that home field apparel has, not just for Penn state, but for a number of other schools because their gear is comfortable. It's unique. And they take time to make sure it makes you feel a little bit closer to whatever school that you purchase stuff from. I mean, I, you, I, I don't remember. Do you have any home field gear for any schools other than, uh, other than Penn state? I've watched it in state shirt. Yeah. And then I bought some Wazoo stuff for, for uh family for this Christmas as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I good stuff. Big fan of what they have over there at Home Field. And you can get your hands on it too, uh, dear listener, if you would like to get your hands on it, especially something from their Penn State line, 15 pieces of apparel. And for new customers to Home Field Apparel, you can use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. Again, if you want to get something from Home Field Apparel, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order if you are a new customer. Thank you to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this edition of the podcast. Let's get back to talking about some football, Nick. Uh, Penn State continues to be in the Rose Bowl. There is not some sort of cataclysmic event that has led to Penn State pulling out of the Rose Bowl. I forgot it was on the 2nd this year, uh, January 2nd at 5 p.m. Uh, it's been interesting because as things have – I believe Penn State opened as a slight favorite. Uh, SP Plus has Penn State – as about a one-point favorite in this game. But according to the fine folks in Las Vegas, Utah is now a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this football game. What's, uh, you know, what are you thinking? What is your, uh, just kind of your vibe check-in in in the, uh, you know, I think it's been about a week and a half since we did our Rapid Reaction podcast? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I don't feel all that 
differently than we did the first time. Uh, mostly just more than anything, just excited. I think it's going to be a fun game. And um, like we've talked about before, this will be the first time that Penn State's ever faced Utah. And I, I love getting to play new teams. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, I, we've had lots of, uh, Lots of interaction with Utah fans on the comments on YouTube. They all have been very nice people. It's been enjoyable reading your comments and really appreciate it. And hopefully, hopefully going to meet some of you down at the game. But, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be a really fun game. It's, you know, we'll talk about opt-outs here in a second, but um, it, I, I think some of the players not dis, not choosing to play into the game are going to play a pretty significant role. Um, just some of the names that we'll talk about, but I, it's, for we they like what's the best way to say this so let, let's go back to the rose bowl last year like for ohio state that was a disappointment because ohio state wanted to be in the playoff for penn state i think it's fair to say that they over i mean they vegas only had them pegged for what eight and a half wins so they obviously outperformed what vegas and most of the country expected for penn state like the rose bowl i know that the loss against ohio state was close and tough and like this doesn't feel this doesn't feel like a consolation prize for Penn State. Making the Rose Bowl this year feels like an accomplishment. And for that reason, I think there's just, you know, there's juice behind this game. There's real like motivation to go out to Pasadena and prove something. So I I'm really excited. I think this is gonna be a really fun game. I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I the more that I've like the more time that has gone on since Penn State first got announced, like at first I was just excited that Penn State was in the Rose Bowl. I wanted to see Penn State in that specific football game because of just everything that comes with getting to say you're in the Rose Bowl. And, you know, the last time Penn State was in this game, they ended up losing the best Rose Bowl that I've ever seen. I Second want best. them to be able Second to have what, – what would you say the first one is? 2005, Texas USC. I, I refuse to acknowledge anything that involves Texas. <laughs> I refuse to. Joke program, unserious, ridiculous. Uh, I don't care if that was for a national championship game. I don't care if Vince Young was cool. Get the heck out of here, the University of Texas. Uh, for those of you who aren't watching on YouTube, I just did the horns down sign, which if you do that in Austin, Texas, 15 yard penalty. No, like they, God, that, see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. With Texas. They're just so soft about that stuff. If you decide to do a cutesy little hand thing upside down, you know, it's like you're spitting in someone's face. Just ridiculous. Neither here nor there. But between that and the fact that this is going to be, you know, a little chance of redemption for James Franklin, the final game that a guy like Sean Clifford is going to play for Penn State being in the Rose Bowl, uh, that's just really cool. And while I'm not, like, that big of a romantic about a lot of old college football stuff, there's just always going to be some kind of gravity and pull about playing in the Rose Bowl. Having said all of that, the more time has gone on, the more excited I am to see this specific game for what you mentioned, Nick, about how it's just such a unique matchup between the Pac-12 champions and a Penn State team that, like, just an interesting part in all of this, Penn State is going up against a conference champion in a bowl game. And I think so much of how we talk about Penn State is measured against Ohio State and Michigan. I want to know how good Penn State is compared to the best in other conferences and whether or not there really is that big of a gap between Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Or if Penn State is actually in a position where it needs to get better in the general landscape of college football. And I think this game is going to present a really good opportunity for them to do that. There is, however, the downside of players have opted out of this game for one reason or another. Penn State's two opt-outs. Joey Porter Jr. and Parker Washington. Although Parker, 
is more of an injury. We think it's more of an injury. We don't know for sure uh, if that's the thing keeping him out of the bowl game altogether or if he is going to or if he would have been able to play, you know. Uh, I think Franklin had basically. said he yeah. was out for like for the season indefinitely anyway. Yeah. 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 And then we don't know what the status is going to be for Olu Fashanu. Uh, other side of the football uh, to our other side of the sideline i suppose uh dalton kincaid the star tight end for utah and clark phillips the star cornerback for utah uh, both decided they are not go- they're going to the nfl and not going to be playing in this game and i just want to talk about penn state's guys who aren't going to be playing again we'll put a big old star on olu fashanu he is not on the list of players who will be uh he is not on the list of players who will be speaking to the media uh so you know read into that how you will, we'll go through that list in a second. But when you talk, look at Penn State, we'll hypothetically just because we need content, Nick, say that uh, Parker Washington could potentially play in this. Who do you think Penn State is going to miss more, would miss more in this football game, assuming Parker Washington is able to play? Joey Porter Jr. or Parker? Uh, Parker, because mm-hmm. I, I, I love Joey Porter Jr. He's a phenomenal football player. But Penn State has, does not have the wide receiver depth that they have at cornerback. And we saw Penn State play without Joey Porter Jr. Granted, not against the top-tier competition, but uh, we saw them play and be just fine without Porter. But then when you yeah. break it down even further, like for this specific matchup, like Utah's by, by far best weapon was Kincaid, the tight end. So not only was Porter probably not going to be that involved anyway given that the tight end is such an integral part and he's probably not going to be the one manned up on the tight end that pro- honestly i think a lot of that's going to fall on jair brown but um mm-hmm. it's just you know like i feel totally fine with Kalen king and johnny dixon as the starting cornerbacks personally whereas like you remove parker washington that passing game takes a much more significant step back yeah i'm i'm inclined to uh i'm i'm inclined to agree with that like i think that the one thing i will say is that penn state's passing game was you know, it was decent down the stretch. Like they found, you know, Sean Clifford had his best game of the year against Michigan State with Parker Washington on the sideline. But I think the, the one thing I will say is that with uh, with Phillips not playing in this game, taking out the best cover guy mm-hmm. that Utah has, I would have really liked to see what Parker Washington could have done against this Utah defense mm-hmm. that for how good Utah's defense is, uh, they started getting torched a little bit by USC in the uh, in in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, they went for 363 yards through the air, and that was with uh, Caleb Williams unable to walk for basically the last two and a half quarters of this game. If you remember yeah. last year's Rose Bowl game, uh, Ohio State just demolished their secondary. CJ Stroud threw 573 yards and six touchdowns. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 15 catches, 347 yards, three touchdowns. Marvin Harrison was their second receiver on that day and had 671 and three. So I think with Phillips out, having Washington in there would have just been a blast. As for Porter, like you mentioned, not having him is going to stink. Uh, but they have the guys who are able to handle that. No Kincaid is gigantic. Mm-hmm. Uh Kincaid being out of this game means the number one receiver for Utah this year caught 50 balls for 595 yards. Kincaid, 70, 890, and 8. He had a not great game by his standards against USC, 4 for 40. Early in the year against USC, 16 catches, 234 yards on a touchdown. This is a very good football player. So not like the fact Porter wouldn't spend too terribly much time on him, but I just don't know how 
good Utah's passing game is going to be in this game. We'll go in depth on the Rose Bowl a little bit farther uh, down the road. But, Nick, I then want to just run by you one last thing regarding the Rose Bowl, and that is the list of players that Penn State is going to put forward to talk mm-hmm. uh, to the media when they get out there. Barney Amore, Jair Brown, Sean Clifford, Bryce Effner, Adisa Isaac, Curtis Jacobs, Kalen King, P.J. Mustafer, Hunter Norzad, Jake Pinnegar, Chop Robinson, Chris Stoll, Juice Scruggs, Brenton Strange, Nick Tarber, and Mitchell Tinsley, and Sal Wormley. I think we could go, you know, there are some guys on this list who uh, I don't think it's worth reading too terribly much. You know, like they trust Kalen King's going to step, have a big next year. But the big thing with bowl games is opt-outs. And the guys who, other than Porter, I think if you made Penn State fans put together their list of the guys they were most would be most concerned would opt out to keep their eye on the NFL, that would be Jair Brown, that would be Curtis Jacobs, that would be P.J. Mustafer, that would be Juice Scruggs, that would be Brenton Strange, that would mm-hmm. be Mitchell Pinsley. And every single one of them is going to be talking to the media. It sounds to me like we are going to have a pretty loaded, pretty healthy, you know, Bari Fashanu uh, Penn State team going into this football game. Yeah, and you know, like we talked about in the past, the fact that it's the Rose Bowl definitely plays a part in that. Like, it's if it were you know the Outback Bowl or whatever it's called now, um, like I think the opt outs would be far greater. Like, I would very much expect like a guy like PJ Mustafer to not be playing, for example. But yeah, um, you know, and 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 this is not at all to um, disparage Joey Porter Jr. or Parker Washington because I have absolutely no problem with any player opting out this is the really the only reasonable time you get to opt out and you get to you know protect your nfl stock and your future um so i have absolutely zero issue with that um but it is it is really fun that we'll get to see these guys because honestly the the only reason that i'm sad about porter and washington not playing is that we don't get to see him play one more time so the fact that we get to see all these guys, you know, suit up for one last time as Nittany Lions, whether it is their last time or not for some of those guys. Um, that's just, that's fun. That's exciting. Especially like I, this was going to be the first year for me in quite a while. Uh, not, not, or actually the first time since I enrolled at Penn state, not counting 2020 that I hadn't, that I wasn't going to see a Penn state game in person. And now I'm going to the Rose bowl. So yeah. I'll get a chance to, you know, see those guys one more time. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Let's get some listener questions. <clears throat> We have a few questions about this year's team, next year's team, all these sorts of things uh, heading into uh, heading into the Rose Bowl. But you must know are actually about next year, except for this one from PenFal25. Nick, have you ever been to Utah? I have not, but I believe our plan this year for our ski trip is to go to Park City or Alta or somewhere hmm. around there. Um, so that'll be the first time, uh, but I have not been. I would love to go. Yes, I, I think I'm going to be going for the NBA All-Star game because yeah. that's in Salt Lake City this year. So uh, that will uh, cross Utah Utah off the list for me. Seems like a nice place. I mean, I truly have nothing else to possibly say about Utah. It seems fine. Yeah, I that that it. I think if you're a skier, if you're a winter sport person, it's awesome. Otherwise, it's fine. And I am not. Let's get into some other questions. First, from Ed, does PSU sign an experienced quarterback from the portal in the event an injury occurs, a grad transfer that understands his role? No experience behind Auer with Christian Bayerly exiting. Uh, I, th- this is an interesting question because on one hand, yes, you would think they absolutely tried to do something like that. On the other, Nick, they're going to be going into next year with Drew Auer and Bo Prabula as a pair of guys who have been in 
state college, who know the system, know Mike Yersich, blah, 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 and bringing in another quarterback in Jackson Smollett, that's three scholarship quarterbacks. I Do you think that it would be worth getting a fourth just so they can have that more experienced kind of dude in the event, you know, knock on, I'm not going to knock on anything because my dog is sleeping, uh, in the event that an injury happens to happen? I think, you know, in a perfect world, sure. Why not? Like, if you can get like a, oh, what's a good, I can't even think of a good example, but like if you, if you can get like, well, I mean, let's use the local one, Christian Bayer. Like if you could get Christian Bayer from another school to agree to come to Penn State and say, hey, you're going to be the third string guy. Maybe you can fight for second string during practice. And he says, yeah, sure. Sounds good to me. I Sure. Why not? I mean, if you have if you have the scholarship available to do it, sure. But I I don't really see. I don't really see that as much of an option given the way, you know, the way quarterbacks are moving now. There's just way more opportunities for guys to go other places yeah. and have more legitimate play, chances to play. Um, and also, like, if Drew Aller wasn't here, I don't think the staff would have any issue starting Bo Perbula next year. Like, I think he is a it pretty... Seems like it. Yeah, I think he's a pretty safe number two for them. So, um, like, I, I'd be totally fine with it. I just don't think it's realistic, honestly. Yeah, the the inherent issue is if a guy is going into the transfer portal, they're going in there to play football somewhere else. And yeah. Penn State, you know, I like you mentioned, if they had the opportunity to go out and get a kid who could step in, you know, at the drop of a hat in the event, something happens to our, and they've played a lot of college football, there's not a lot that could really shake them, you know, put them in a position where they're like, you know, Take the take the Purdue game this year. They're not worried that going into a hostile road environment is going to be a huge issue for them. Like, obviously, they need to go out and get that. But the problem is any kid who is wired that way is probably trying to play football and tr- in the transfer portal because they want to play football somewhere. I'm looking back on yeah. – uh, I'm looking back on past quarterback classes in or past uh, recruiting classes in the lovely Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to see if there's anyone out there who can maybe fit the bill of just come in and sit behind and like, I mean, while you're doing that, like this is like, this is something that was much more of a reality or an option before the transfer portal was the way it was. Right. Like when you had grad transfers that literally were like, I'm probably not going to the NFL. I just let me go somewhere cool for another year. Like that's, yeah. that's one thing. It's totally different now. Yeah. I mean, as I'm, I'm looking down and I see a guy like, you know, you would love for a guy like Will Howard at Kansas State, Pennsylvania kid. He started and won them that game against TCU in the Big 12 championship game. You'd love if a guy like that could hit the transfer portal and you sure. could get him into your room if you want a more steady hand. But if a guy like that is going to be transferring, it's again, it's because he wants to play. So I think that's probably where my where I think that would run into some problems. And then like you mentioned, it seems like the coaching staff is in love with Bo Perbulo. We, ha- we had our pal – uh, Ryan Snyder on the podcast, you know, a while ago. And Snyder mentioned that, yes, obviously, Aller's coming in as, as the five-star. They love Prabula. They would have no problem building around Bo, Bo Prabula going it's a forward. Tough, it's a tough name to say. Yeah, it's, it's trickier than I thought. Yeah. Going forward, if it came to that. So I think, uh, I, I think that if a kid is going to hit the transfer portal, and you, they would be fine with being a breaking case of emergency option. Sure. Sure. Maybe they go for that. But generally, no, nah, I think they, 
I, I think they have two guys who they know and trust because they've been in the system, and it seems like they like Smolik. So, yeah, I, I, I'm inclined. I think you and I both understand the answer to that is no. Or, or both would we that the answer to that is no. Yeah. Uh, question from Doug. How do you see the run-pass balance shaking out next year? Also, $99 RLR NFTs when? <laughs> we will never have an NFT as long as I'm affiliated with this podcast. And if we do, I'm leaving. So let's get that out there. Was but this the was this our Doug thing. that asked this, or was this a different Doug? This was this is our Doug. Yes. <sighs> Hi, Doug. I'm disappointed in you. You should know better, young man. All I, all I, I see on the outline you. here. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're talking to Doug, not me. Never mind. I have known you since you were a freshman at Penn State, and you are now asking these sort of unbelievable. But <laughs> all jokes aside, uh, second part of this question: run pass balance shaking out next year. Uh, this is an interesting question. For me, Nick, because I think every Penn State fan is going to want Aller to come in and just light it up. But there are two things that I think work against him here. One, how good Singleton and Allen were this year. You have to give those guys as much of the football as you possibly can. And then two, the guy who had the third most rushes for Penn State this year was Sean Clifford with 61 carries and five touchdowns. Uh, Both those were third on the team. So whereas 177 yards. I don't think they are going to want Aller running nearly that much. And I know they were mostly designed – there weren't a ton of designed runs for Clifford. A lot of the times when he took off was just scrambling and trying to pick him up with his legs. But I think that is going to go from 60 carries to, you know, taking out taking out sacks. And he was only sacked 14 times. Taking out sacks, maybe that's 30. And I think they are going to be doing a ton of riding single and, Singleton and Allen instead – so I wouldn't be surprised if Penn, you know, this year they ran it 458 times and threw it 400. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit more in the direction of running the football next year, even with that. Yeah, I do think they will use Aller on the ground, like near the goal line, just because he's such a big body. Um, like kind of not, he is not Josh Allen, but you know, in the way that Josh Allen is effective near the goal line, just being able to stretch the ball so easily. Like, I think that's something that Drew yeah. Aller can do. Um, and then I think it's also, you know, he's still a young quarterback and young quarterbacks will take off when they feel in trouble yeah. more often than an experienced guy would. So I, I agree that 60 is probably a number that, um, we should hope Aller doesn't reach in terms of rushes, but I, it, it could end up being more than we would guess. I think, um, but yeah, I like you said, Singleton and Allen are just so explosive and effective, and they're going to bring in more talent at running back in this year's recruiting class. I like I think the ideal is always 50-50, right? Like that that is the ideal offense to be able to run as much as you pass. Um, one, to take the pressure off Aller, but two, to, you know, keep your offense on the field for longer because Penn State's defense is so good and is going to remain so good next year that you want to have them be as fresh as you possibly can because when they're when like mm-hmm. when they're not fresh they're still going to be really good but if you can keep them fresh they're going to destroy opponents souls um so i think yeah. you've got to keep the run game involved for that reason um even just you know talent in that room aside altogether um so i i think the ideal is 50 50 um if you can get away with running the ball more than you pass that, I mean, that's really the ideal, but um, that's, that, that's the, that's the big thing for me, Nick. I think if you don't want Aller having to go out there and throw the ball 40 times a game Mm -hmm. with the talent that you have in your backfield, because if you're throwing it 40 times a game, that means you're in games where he has to throw it 40 times a game. Yeah. I look back to that 2019 team where between Sean Clifford, Will Levis and Taquan Roberson, Penn state threw the ball 369 times between their running backs, Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Devin Ford, Ricky Slade, and some other guys down the 
uh, down the depth chart, a couple of wide receivers, their quarterbacks, including Clifford and Levis, they ran it 516 times. I don't think that big of a disparity is pro- probably what James Franklin wants. But if they have something like that where they're able to just lean on their running game, you know, Journey Brown averaging nearly seven yards a carry, Noah Kane averaging five, Devin Ford nearly averaging six. If next year you could tell me that Nick Singleton is averaging seven yards a carry and Katron Allen is averaging, you know, nearly six, and they only run the ball slightly more than they throw it. I'm actually, I would actually be pretty bugged about that because then you're not taking advantage of these two, you know, premier talents that you have in your backfield, along with, you know, if Kayvon Lee sticks around, whatever they get out of Kayvon. So I would, I think you and I agree on this one, a little bit more running than passing. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, you, your quarterback, you know, going to next year now is Drew Aller, who has unbelievable arm strength. The more you run, the more opportunities you're going to get for deep play action passes where you can really take advantage of that arm strength. Um, so, yeah, I very much agree. From Mike, who do you think will be the starting receivers in week one next year? And because I hate this question, mm. because I have no idea what the hell I want to say here, I'm going to have you answer it first. Huh. Okay. Um. Well, well how about this? Let's agree on the one guy who I think the two guys who I think you and I are pretty one guy we're p- confident and I'm pretty sure we'll say Keandre Lambert Smith and one guy we're pretty confident and we'll say Trey Wallace. Would you agree with that? Um, I, I honestly, the <laughs> hilariously, I think the pick I'm most confident in right now is Dante Cephas. Mm, okay. Um, because okay. I, I do think Penn State lands him and I think he'll be a starter week one. Um, you know, the fact that they moved Keandre Lambert Smith into the slot does make this interesting. I think that does prime him to be to be a starter. Um I I mean, but I could also I could see Caden Wall or uh Caden Saunders make a big jump. Um mm-hmm. I will I will conservatively say Cephas, Lambert Smith, Wallace. So I, I guess I do agree in the end. Um but like I, I think Liam Clifford's a wild card too. I think he showed some great things in the slot. So ah, man, I don't know. That's tough. Yeah, this year on the returning guys, uh Lambert Smith, 21 catches, 265 yards, three scores. Wallace, 17, 226, and one. Clifford, eight, eighty-nine, and zero. Uh then you go down to guys like Amari Evans, guys like Kane Saunders, where we can make a who got only in a couple of catches. Uh I would say the two that I named Lambert Smith and Wallace. Cephas does seem like the safe pick, but just because he is not on the roster yet, I will go with Caden Saunders. Um, no, he was banged up, but I'm really, I'm a big believer in his talent. So I will go with the three of them just because we don't know who the uh, potential trend, like if they go out and they get Caden Prather and Dante Thornton uh, and Dante Cephas, that, you know, those are your starting wide receivers for all intents and purposes. But, because they're not here yet, I will stick with a. Uh, I will stick with those guys. If you would, if you would pick one guy to break out next year in a, you know, who isn't Keandre Lambert Smith, just because old head who's been the root for a while, just among the young guys, who's the one that you would be most likely to pick? Love me some KLS. Um, I would say Saunders. I he just he's such a massive talent. Um, and you know, I, I don't mind that we didn't really see him this year because to me that's, you know, that's plenty of time just to kind of absorb, get used to the college game, learn all that. So um, the talent didn't go anywhere. So I he's he's yeah. the easy pick for me. Although I, I, I like Harrison Wallace as a breakout too, honestly. Like, again, ton of talent, ton of raw athleticism. So that's the fun thing about this room. Like, I could see any of them yeah. breaking out. 
yeah, I mean, there's there's the very obvious concern of, well, what if no one is good enough? What right. if no one is able to take that step forward? And that, like, that's a very real concern. But you then look through the room. Liam Clifford was a four-star. Jamie Don, I think, was a four-star. Mari Evans was a, a three-slash-four-star. Ivy was a four-star. Johnson was a four-star. Lambert Smith was a four-star. Saunders was a four-star. Wallace was a three-slash-four-star. Like, a lot of talent in the room, and it's all about who's able to use this offseason as a chance to put it together. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I just believe in Taylor Stubblefield as a position coach. So, all that. Last question, and we'll take this one quickly. I have two Nick, bonus questions because, after this one, also. Okay. This is just real quick because this is going to be a big thing that we talked about throughout the offseason from Jeff. Do you think the expectations for the 2023 Penn State football team will be equal to or more than they were for the 2017 team? Hmm. I would probably just real quick, don't go into too much in depth. I would probably say less than. I, man, I. The fact that people are so excited for Drew Aller makes me kind of think right. maybe at least equal, maybe more. But I mean, that 2017 team was so loaded that the, the the 27. Here's the thing: the 20. Why was the 2017 team supposed to be a playoff team? It's because they brought back basically everyone. Yeah, and coming Especially off the, Rose the Bowl. side of the football. Yes, Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley a host of wide receivers outside of Chris Godwin, like all of that stuff was the reason why Mike is that those guys were the reason why that team was supposed to make it. Then a ton of talent still on the defensive side of the football next year's team. I mean, we just spent a second talking about it, Nick, like we don't know who's going to be their wide receivers. Uh, we have some questions about the depth along defensive line. We don't know if Curtis Jacobs is coming back next year. We don't know who's going to be replacing Jai Brown. There are big question marks. So while I believe this, the team has a very high ceiling and a very high floor. I thought the 2017 team could compete for a national championship. Maybe not win it, but be in that conversation. The 2017 team got up to number two in the country uh, when they won into Columbus. And I don't know if next year's team is capable of getting that high. This is not an insult to next year's team. It's just, I think next year... You know, they came into that season ranked number six in the country. They got up to number two in the country. I'm not certain that's what the start of next year will look like. So I don't say that to be like a wet blanket. I think next year's team can absolutely get to that point. But I think as of right now, putting them on par with the team, putting their expectations on par with the defending Big Ten champions is probably not fair. The only reason that I... I'm kind of torn on it is because I think the 2023 defense has a much higher floor and a much higher ceiling than the 2017 sure. defense sure. did. Yeah, that's fair. And then from Len, how would you uh, operationalize success of 2023? It could be wins, who they beat, individual accolades, postseason games, inviting to, etc. To which I say, ask me after the Rose Bowl and ask me after we know who is going to be on the team next year. It's a cop out, but. Yeah, I uh, don't care about individual awards. Don't really, I mean, I guess being one of Ohio State or Michigan should always be the goal. Um, I mean, beating both should always be the goal, but you should always want to beat at least one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think considering what's coming back, considering the expectations of Valor, as I'm sitting here right now, I think you should be at the very least competing 
strongly for a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I would say competing, competing strongly for the Big Ten just because competing yeah, for the Big same, Ten. Same idea. For a yeah. it, like, we're saying the same thing, but like, let's imagine a world for a second where where they have to replace Brenton Strange. They have to replace uh, a couple of starters on the offensive line. They have to figure out who their wide receivers are. Their defensive line, they're losing Nick Tarburn, they're losing P.J. Mustafer. Let's say... Hypothetically, say after this season, Hakeem Beeman and Adisa Isaac decide that they're going to go to the NFL. Let's hypothetically, this is all hypotheticals. Hypothetically, Curtis Jacobs decides he wants to go to the NFL. Jair Brown decides he wants to, he, I mean, he's going to the NFL. Johnny Dixon decides he wants to go to the NFL. Marquise Wilson decides he wants to transfer. Daquan Hardy decides he wants to go to, like, you see what I mean? Like, I don't think all of this stuff happens, but just think of how everything changes and how we talk about next year's team based on that stuff so right now i will definitely say they should be competing for the big 10 they should absolutely be competing for the big 10 it's the stuff it's like you know when matt is on here talking about they're in their window to make it to the playoff i don't know if i'm ready to go there yet but ask me that question after i know for sure who is going to be on the team next year yeah yeah it's it's a conversation better saved yes you said you had bonus questions, Nick. What's up? Yes. So I will be um, back on the East Coast from the 18th through the like 29th, and then I'll be going down to LA for the Rose Bowl. So I will, I'm not sure how many podcasts, uh, if any, I'll be on from now until the Rose Bowl um, or until the holiday season. So I had two quick, um, we will celebrate Christmas. So two quick Christmas questions for you. One, name your, it doesn't have to be like a definitive top five, but like an off the top, like top five favorite Christmas movies in no particular order. Um, hmm. the issue is I haven't put too much thought into this. Christmas Here, I'll, so I'll I'll go I'll go to help. I'll 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 do mine if it helps you. Um, think. Um, Christmas vacation okay. for I, me. I, there's there's there is there is a chance that I am going to go on a rant that gets people mad at us. Oh, okay. I'm excited. But please continue. Uh, Christmas vacation is number one for me. Um, the new entry to this list, Spirited on Apple, is. Fan, fantastic! It's uh, Will, Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. Um, it's like a musical, and it's uh, it's a musical in a way that it's it's the music's written by the same people that did Greatest Showman and La La Land, so it's a very similar um, you know, cadence of music throughout. It's excellent. Um, I think um, I think Santa Claus, the first one, goes up there. Fantastic movie. Um, man, I haven't even thought about this that much. Two more. So I. I will tentatively put Christmas with the cranks up here because one, uh, there's a good chance a lot of people listen haven't even heard of this one. But I had a friend a couple of years ago who uh, I had never heard of that movie. Definitively said, "Like Christmas with the cranks is the greatest Christmas movie of all time." I'm like, "Okay, well, I've never even heard of that. How can that be true?" So now we have a tradition every year where we watch Christmas with the cranks. It's it's actually a pretty funny movie. It's another uh, Tim Allen one. Um, and then I'll also throw. And then I'll put uh, the Grinch up there too, the Jim Carrey one. Okay, the I was going through a quick list of the four that I immediately went to a Christmas vacation: Elf, Home Alone, and Home Alone Two. For that fifth oh, one, Home I don't Alone, know, just throw something in there. But if you like a Christmas story, I don't respect you because that is a terrible movie. That is a garbage movie where the entire moral of the story is. You can get what you want if you are as annoying as humanly possible, even if everyone tells you it's a bad idea. I hate that goddamn movie. With every, like, they're the people who decide they want to watch uh, the Christmas movie and that, you know, that gets the 24 hour treatment. Garbage. Terrible. I hate everything about it. Uh, I will throw 
I am actually looking at another list. My my, my take my take before Rocky, you before Rocky uh, Rocky, Rocky Four is my final Christmas. Okay, um, but to respond, I I I feel like most people now, if you met like I I feel like most feelings about a Christmas story are very neutral. Like I think it's the kind of thing now. Like if it's on TV, I sure I guess I'll watch it. But like I think I think overall feelings about it are not. Like I I don't disagree with your take at all. I don't I would i would not watch christmas movie unless someone with me was like oh i really want to watch it and then i'd be like all right fine whatever i guess but nope. like i wouldn't go out you, of my way you, to watch you it. could you could you could you could go into the bedroom and put it on a tv in there i get that garbage away from me i hate that movie with every single every single bone in my body i hate a christmas story uh but yes your second question nicholas what is your go-to christmas day or christmas eve you know whatever day is your big celebration um meal uh, I am Italian, so we do. We don't do the full feast of the seven fishes on Christmas Eve, but we eat a whole lot of fish on Christmas Eve. So definitely that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we do. We usually do at my parents' house. My mom will do a ham, and then also do salmon. So we'll have both. Nice, yeah. nice. Well, that, those are those are fun questions to get me in the spirit. Christmas is about ten days away. Uh, if you're celebrating Christmas have a great Christmas. You celebrate anything else this time of year, have a great time celebrating it. I will be parked on my couch watching, uh, watching the NBA on Christmas and, and the NFL. And it's the a NFL. weird, uh, it's a weird sports day this year. Uh, but the yeah, Christmas I, I, gift I, I, that none of us knew we needed the Denver Broncos against the Los Angeles Rams on Christmas day. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm going to do the Dougie in honor of Baker Mayfield. Uh, but yeah, I think that is, we, you know, there's big news. We will have uh, shorter pods kind of reacting to that. But I think that's probably it for us for at least before uh, the holiday rolls around. We'll do some Rose Bowl stuff a little bit later uh, after Christmas. But everyone, thank you very much, as always, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go to get your podcast. Uh, if you're using Apple Podcasts, please go with us a five-star review. If you're using Spotify, leave us five stars over there. If you're on YouTube, give us a like, hop into the comments, talk with some Utah fans who apparently just cannot get enough of us. Um, yeah, I will I will say nice things about the Utah Jazz uh, as a way to show my appreciation for them. Uh, make sure you're following us on our Twitter account over at RLR blog. And of course, Thank you to Home Field Apparel. As always, if you uh, want to get some Home Field gear and you are a first-time customer, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State. Happy holidays.